This is Chase Garbarino, co-founder and CEO of HQO, and this is the Let's Go Show. Today, we've got a great show, two amazing guests. Uh, We've got Jenny Silber from Metaprop, one of HQO's earliest investors, and our very own Jay Schaffeld, who runs all things people operations and HR at HQO. Thanks for joining me today, folks. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, Chase. So Jenny, let's start with you. Um, Thanks for coming on. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Metaprop and um, kind of your, your role within the organization? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, uh, my name is Jenny Silber. I'm the I'm Metaprop's head of startup services, um, or what a lot of VCs would call platform. Metaprop is an early stage uh, VC firm focused on real estate and property technology. So we've been investing since about 2015. Uh, we have just about 100 companies um, out of our three funds so far, and they span um, all types of real estate, every asset class, um, and kind of different vertical within the industry. So we have a really high level view um, into what's going on in real estate. And my role with Metaprop is basically to leverage our resources to support our company's further growth. So some of the things that we focus on for that is talent uh, sourcing and acquisition. We have a really strong foothold in the real estate industry. So we tend to get in front of really, really excellent talent that we try to connect to our companies. Um, We support a lot with business development and partnership initiatives, um, community content, fundraising, kind of anything that's going to help be of service to to our portfolio of companies for the group. Yeah. So, I mean, when you invest in a company, how you know, tactically, how do you guys really start to work with them kind of after the investment on the talent side? A hundred percent. So we have a pretty stringent onboarding process that that we go through with all of our companies. Um, I believe I'm the second person to have this dedicated role within Metaprop. Um, So my predecessor did a really great job at laying the groundwork. And what I've tried to do in this role is create process around a lot of those functions. Um, So generally what the first 30 days in our portfolio looks like is we do an intake, um, we collect basic information from the team, and then we try to make it highly personalized. So I'll jump on a call, like a 30 or 40 minute call with our new team and talk to them about everything that's going on on the team right now, um, what their needs are in terms of partnership and business development, in terms of talent. Um, and then I kind of direct them where they need to go from there. Um, so we keep a talent network where we kind of house all of our candidates that are currently in the mix. Um, and we do get into detail on, on the talent network too. Myself and my team will hold quick kind of like, um, first look interviews with candidates that come through our door and then categorize them and try to match them with opportunities in the portfolio. So it's a very important thing for us. It's very top of mind. Uh, from that very first conversation. That's great. Well, obviously, one of the things we want to focus on with uh, the two of you here today is the uh, the topic I think every day you log into LinkedIn and you see trending at all times is return to office and return to work, right? So, Jay, I mean, you and I talk about this all the time at HQO, but in terms of what you're seeing, obviously beyond HQO, you talk to HR professionals at all sorts of different types of companies and you're involved in a lot of industry organizations and things like that. But what are you seeing across market in terms of how companies are approaching what is a, you know, a pretty unprecedented time in terms of uh, returning to work? It's, um, it's an ever evolving topic, isn't it? I mean, 
there were phases as we look back over the last year and a half where obviously everyone just scattered and went home. Some companies allowed people to work from wherever they might be. And it sounds like, you know, there are some companies that have continued to allow that to, to happen. Um, I think right now there's a lot of emphasis on returning to office, depending on segment, we're seeing, you know, movement at different paces. And I think that a lot of large tech, financial services, you're starting to see back in cities, right? Um, it seems like there's a, a large majority of companies that were planning on a July return, some maybe September. And I think we're seeing right now within the HR community, a lot of those things are, you know, nobody's moved from that, though people are certainly watching Delta variant and other things uh, as, it, as it evolves. It's, um, it's really interesting, though, because, Chase, I think what's most important in all this is companies are going to make the right decision for them and for their customers and, and to be able to, to sort of, uh, you know, uh, deliver on their customer commitments or whatever it might be. But it seems like a lot of companies have been... Um, non-committal on their approach. You're seeing a lot of people say that we're going to continue to be hybrid or or whatever their decisions might be, but employees aren't totally aligned with that yet. And I think the last study I saw said something like 40 plus percent of workers did not know their company's intentions. And so there's return to off, but there's also this impending turnover attrition. I think I saw tsunami is what they're calling it now. <laughs> and I think that, you know, part, part of that is there's certainly a pent up amount of turnover, but there's also a lot of people that are unclear on their company's plans around return to office. And I think that, you know, the exposure of not being together, being at home, back to back Zoom calls or whatever it might be, is leading people to contemplate their options. And, and so without a real alignment around planning and intention, you're seeing a lot of these things happen. So, so the HR community is really dealing with not only what is our pace and how quickly are we returning to office, but also this, this, this turnover thing that's happening right now. Yeah, Jenny, are you hearing from your portfolio companies looking for guidance on return to office? I'm sure you're getting a few inquiries. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything that Jay has said. Um, I think what we're seeing now is an interesting moment. There's a lot of weighing the pros and cons and trying to be continue to be iterative about how companies are like creating their policies and how to utilize their workspace. But um, I know like many, many of our companies are, you know, utilizing remote aspects, but also supporting their culture with physical spaces. So there's obviously a lot of hybrid going on, but before, and I think Metaprop's team itself is a little representative of this too, but what we're hearing from companies is before a lot of them were in a phase where they were slowly returning to the office while following CDC guidelines and just kind of keeping the option open. And now we're collectively starting to try to make longer term policies um, while still staying flexible to changes in the public health situation um, and like vetting what the Delta spike may mean for that. But it's kind of, I think, I think the teams that are doing it well are trying to be as concrete as possible with their strategies while also maintaining some room for re-implementation um, and adaptation. Yeah. Uncertainty is difficult to, to deal with, certainly. And it's, I think a lot of, you know, it's it's hard to predict, obviously, what's going to come um, since most of us uh, have probably been wrong at almost every turn, um, depending on how you're looking at this. But, I mean, have you guys seen specific tactics that uh, have been working in terms of how you engage people both while they're you know 
depending on where you are as a company, if you're still kind of predominantly or fully remote uh, versus hybrid at engaging people both while they're at the office and away. Well, let me let me take a quick try at this one. And Jenny, I, I'd really be curious what you're seeing. But I think what we focused on here at HQO is first, you know, our guardrails were employee safety and well-being first. And when we committed to that with our employees, they get put them, you know, it gave them a sense of, of calm and ease about this. So we started with the what, right? What are we doing about this and, and the how? How are, we, how are we looking after your safety? So we invested in things like dividers and sanitization devices and, you know, even invested in additional space and footprint within our building. We added two more floors to our footprint here to allow for distancing and spacing. And I think that, that gave people a sense of, of calm and knowing that we were looking after their well-being. But Chase, what really matters when we gave them the why, right? We, we shared why we wanted to be back. We have found that, and I think most companies are finding this, that collaboration, innovation, and frankly, just being around other people is so good for you know, work product and, and for us mental well-being and all that um, that, that was really important in, in our narrative and that, and that sort of was important in the why. The other part of that is Look, we're in the commercial real estate business, and so we, our prospects, our customers, many of them were back in office, and we felt that we needed to also lead by example. The last part of our why is that we also have this belief that part of our purpose and part of our mission is to support communities and bringing people together. And so when we saw that we could play a role in building up the communities around our buildings by being back in office and supporting the adjunct businesses, call it the local restaurants or smaller businesses, it also was, you know, it aligned with our with our values and our mission. And so not only is it the what and the how are we doing this to ensure your safety and well-being as an employee in our building, but also the why and the purpose behind it. Yeah, I'll just, um, to add on to that, I love how you're breaking down the why in very specific terms, um, because we I think we've definitely established our why, but... I like being able to kind of like build consensus around it and talk about it as a team and, and know. Um, so our team, our team made a decision early on to stay hybrid, probably in like July of last year, um, which I liked because it helped create certainty for the team that like this would be our long term strategy of doing things and build around that. Um, but that enabled us just for context, too. So the Metaprop team is close to 20 people. Um, we have an office space in the middle of Manhattan on West 39th Street. Um, we call it PropTech Place. It's the, it's the central hub for, for PropTech and real estate in New York City. Um, so we also use that as a community space. Um, but we, uh, we gradually started returning um, over the summer, but we also kind of, you know, established early on that we wanted to keep the space. We recognize that a lot of the value that Metaprop can provide to like our team our startups and also just like the greater ecosystem is the in-person connections. So we definitely wanted to keep an emphasis on that. Um, similar to what to what you're saying, Jay, we implemented return to office policies to keep safety top of mind. So um, we created a contact tracing form to uh, for everyone to fill out to to keep track of who's in the office um, and you know masks on while moving around, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we use latch to control entry. But then we also started work right away on an internal company initiative called Workplace 21 that helped us shift to a, a dynamic hybrid model and get the most out of both um, kind of locations. So that involved a whole bunch of different kind of like sub initiatives that our team worked on. But basically it, it entailed updating 
documentation to create single sources of truth and help us communicate better remotely. Um, and then also exploring tech tools um, that'll help us like execute on workflows faster and, and iterate faster and in the right places, which was super helpful. Um, and even though we're still keeping a premium on in-person, um, it's helpful. I think it kind of was able to level up our operations on all sides, um, no matter where we are, and just made us more more lean and adaptable. Yeah, that's interesting. What are some of those technologies um, that came out of that kind of project that are, you're most excited about? Yeah, um, I love to I love to nerd out about like productivity <laughs> tech. But well, we we had Slack, but we started using it in different ways. Um, one of the channels that we created was the PropTech Place channel. So in terms of like going into the office, we share on that channel when we're going in and which days everyone will be there. And that's really helped as we've ramped up the number of people in the office on a week to week basis. So everyone kind of plans around when they want to see each other. Um, because our why is really about spending time as a team in person um, and all the implications that that has on morale. And then on the flip side of that, we try to improve communication for those who can't always be in the office. So that's where the tech comes in. So we use Slack heavily um, for single source of truth. We also started using tools like Loom for kind of training and quick tutorials we want to give each other. We use Asana now for several of our workflows, um, which is really, really great because that's the communicating in the right places is what I think Asana embodies. Keeping threads going um, and keeping things organized is really, really very helpful. What about you, Jay, in terms of technology and, you know, even programming, what are you seeing that's engaging people, um, you know, across our organization at HQO as we've uh, now, I think, gone through ahead of probably a lot of other companies, a lot of the, the steps of returning? Yeah, so I think one of the first things is uh, just a recognition that, you know, Zoom after Zoom after Zoom or meets after meets meeting is just uh, unbearable, right? And so we saw that people just had this tremendous degree of burnout, as I think most organizations do from when we we're all remote and um, and struggling with that. And I think that the first part was just a recognition that you need to build in those you need to build in those breakpoints. And and so you know now that we are through that and and by and large back, you know I don't know if it's as much tech chase as it is sort of the opposite of that, right? Which is people just being in person and finding that this this sort of uh, interaction is so important for, for so many things, right? We could talk about productivity and engagement, but also just people look forward to it. I mean, look, we're talking to our employees, we're talking to our candidates that are just so thrilled to be back in office and, and back together again. And so I think we're seeing a different form of productivity um, through just People getting around a whiteboard, people getting in a room and, and and talking it through. The one thing I do worry about, and Jenny, I'd love your perspective on this, is you know, we're thinking about future state world when, you know, maybe in this hybrid notion where some people are in office, some people are not. I think there are a couple of things that come to mind around that. The first is from a commercial real estate, from a footprint perspective. I've seen some companies that have said, you know, we're going to mandate days in office. Let's call it the Apple model, right? Tim Cook recently came out and said there are certain days that you've got to be in office. And then we're seeing other organizations that are letting employees dictate and drive. And I wonder, you know, do, do you guide your portfolio companies? Do you anticipate that they'd need the same real estate footprint if you're only going to be in a couple of days a week? Because that could be, an, you know, a fairly expensive proposition if you, if you maintain 100% footprint for, let's say, 50% of time in office. 
And then what happens to innovation and collaboration if cohorts are in on certain days? You sort of miss out on some of the goodness of kind of, I think, the theme of what we're talking about here, Chase, right? So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious, Jenny, what you're thinking about when you look at the implications of hybrid, the, the good and the bad. Yeah, I this is a great kind of talking point. I think hybrid is the ideal scenario on one level, but one of the real kind of challenges of it is keeping the employees who aren't in the office on the same page as the ones who are. And you like even in as simple a situation as a Zoom meeting where a bunch of team members are in one place and then a few are calling in. Um, and what happens before and after that meeting, you know, as people are walking in and out of the room, conversations are happening that those dial in team members aren't experiencing, which there's just not a lot you can do to work around that. Um, one of our companies, so our companies are, are all doing very different things and taking different approaches. They're in different locations. They have different size teams, anywhere from like under 10 to over 200 team members. Um, so it's really hard to categorize. But I think one of the things that um, that has come out of like, for example, the hybrid work environment uh, I was chatting with um, the team at at one of our companies, Y Hotel, um, and they were talking about basically their approach. And I think this has interesting implications for onboarding too, but their approach is, you know, we want to use the office, but what are the experiences that are really important for our team members to have in the office? And a lot of times that's just not going to be kind of like single desk working. Um, and And in that exercise, you can identify what are the key experiences that our employees should be having as a part of our team? Um, and thinking about, I mean, I think a big one is going to be onboarding. So for them, they'll do have new team members come in once a month, all the new team members come in and just interact with each other. And that's scheduled. Um, so because they determined that onboarding was really important to the culture. Um, so I think that's a good exercise to kind of raise those questions that you otherwise wouldn't, which is like, what are the most key experiences to employees on our team and then do those in person and develop a strategy around that. Um, and then to, to the second part of your question, which was um, like actually planning the, the square footage and how the space is used. On the one hand, I think there might have to be shifts um, depending on the company, like where you're spending your time and, and what your lease looks like, but also having more space and just kind of building it out in a different way. So conference rooms and collaboration spaces and then just fewer areas, fewer square footage devoted to desks, I think is going to be super important for that. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, so Chase, back to the question about, you know, both technology and, and Jenny's point about experience. That's where, you know, I think that's our sweet spot of where we focus. And within HR space, I'm encouraging HR leaders to be much more involved and active in the conversation about the physical space, right? As a manifestation of your brand and your entire employee experience. So Jenny, that's a really good point. And so what we think matters, I think our hypothesis is that the employee experience and the physical experience come together in, in our buildings, right? And so if there's a way to attract people back in the context of what we've been talking about in a safe manner, but where people want to be in the building uh, and they want to have access to amenities, they want to have access to experience, they want to get back to the place where there's, I don't know, um, after hours... Uh, microbrew sessions in the lobby or 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 speaker series in the you know in the in the amenity center or and certainly Jenny your point about flex space and having the ability to flex up or down as we as we need in our office those things become particularly important so having a tool having a, a mechanism by which the 
company, the tenant or the occupier can really engage with the people that own and operate the building, I think is more important than ever. And with respect to talent and respect with respect to human resources, that's where I think there's a real opportunity for that function to come together with the people that are that are planning for the building. I think there's a big implication for human resources there and a lot of good, like interesting ways to rethink how your culture looks and feels. Um, and on the landlord's part, I think it's a good opportunity to help enable that with the tenants um, and create protocols and spaces where those cultural elements of like, what is the best, the highest and best use for this space, not just the use that we're used to. Um, <clears throat> being able to kind of like lead the way in that cultural shift for landlords would be really, really interesting and really important for companies that maybe need a little help thinking of it. Yeah, that that point about the highest value, best use of a space rather than purely uh, maybe quantity, right, um, is a really interesting concept when you think about, and as we kind of pivot here towards talking about the landlord's role in all of this, when we think about building culture and the physical workplace, I think what you hear a lot talking to people is like anecdotally, they're like, oh man, we got back to the office and we forgot how important it is, right? And I think it's so interesting where you have this industry that was, it's been so stable for so long that is now in a period of stress due to a confluence of things, right? Uh, internet and digital technologies had been um, making distributed and flexible work possible long before COVID, right? And you had groups like WeWork coming in, taking advantage of this while also kind of capturing the need for flexibility in terms of shorter term leasing. But when you think about the true value proposition of the office, it really is targeted at HR in terms of your most valuable resource or your people and getting the most out of your people collectively as a team. There seems to be a sort of certain kind of magic that happens in person. But when we talk about high value kind of use cases, um, I think it's interesting for us to kind of talk a little bit about how can landlords get involved in measuring these things and how can landlords start to be a partner, say to you, Jenny, and your portfolio companies and to you, Jay, on everything we're trying to do with talent. Um, and ultimately, how, how do they start measuring these things, right? Because they're they have not been incredibly data-driven on kind of use of product in the past. Well, I think if we go back to where we started this conversation, Chase, it was around, you know, the what and the how. So if landlords and the companies that are, you know, contained within the building are on the same page and very much aligned around the protocol, the safe, let's start with the safety protocols. What is the building doing and how can they add value to their tenants as they start to guide them, help guide them through the process of returning to office? So for example, best practices are the following. And I, I know that many HR and, and companies uh, are really struggling with this. What's the right pace? What can we do about it? Um, so if there are best practices across, let's say, a landlord's portfolio of companies, here are some recommendations and help you with the return to office. No, oh, by the way, here's what we're doing about it. The first part of just coming back to office. With respect to what, you know, what information might be helpful to the landlord, you know, I'd hope that they're engaging with their occupiers on things like, what is your pace of return? How do you anticipate returning? And then using data, right, to engage with the, with the 
people that are coming into the building, visitors or, or occupiers, to understand how they'll be utilizing the building. Think, things we found important, for example, our employees actually were very interested now that they're out of their apartments or their houses to utilize the gym. And so, you know, we, we were working with our building here in Boston uh, with our landlord around being able to reserve, let's say, uh, a spot in the gym after hours or, you know, uh, people were interested in um, uh, bike storage because they didn't want to take public transit or, you know, perhaps a parking app or things like that. So I think this this notion of really engaging between uh, the people that are running the business and the people that, you know, are running the, the building to align around what's really important to each other. And I think that, you know, before the pandemic, I don't recall a time or a place where that was really fluid and really synergistic. And so I think that the pandemic has put an accelerant on the notion that we really need to be partners in this together. Yeah, I, th- I think to that point, it's there's the part of like, in, yet one, invest in amenities, which I don't think is is new to anyone and as a part of this conversation, but also investing in the technology that enables them to be shared in a safe way and kind of um, like in a way integrate the landlord operations with the company's operations and kind of like be a leader in that and, and offer not just the amenity itself, but the management of the amenity, um, I think is a really interesting concept. Yeah, that added services, Jay, I'm sure we've seen some areas that if uh, we had a we had a group coming in and saying, hey, you need lift on X, Y and Z, all the things that we needed as we came back to the office, that would have been helpful. We tend to be pretty bottlenecked on a lot of procurement and just service level stuff around the office. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if we had a if we had a true partner that was helping us, once again, what matters right now this point in time for, you know, for businesses is engagement and retention of employees and a very safe and, you know, this return to office that is planful and aligned with with our with our business and what we need to do. If we had a partner in that, and again, this all centers around the physical experience, both a safe and, and productive work environment that allows for the flexibility that, you know, maybe that Jenny referred to, uh, whether it's hybrid or flex up and down space as needed, and then had the amenities and the things that were of interest to to either candidates or employees as they come back to the physical space, I think is really important. And so landlords do have a real opportunity to be of value to to their tenants. Yeah. One thing that's come up a lot when we've spoke to spoken to our portfolio companies too is like the location of the office. So for teams that are fully back in office or are getting good sentiments from from their teams about being there, it's because the location is the place where people want to be or it's in the middle of their day where they can go into the office and then, you know, go straight to the gym as we know or or anything else. So location I think is an interesting thing to focus on and not just I mean, not everyone's office is in Soho, but but like being able to maximize the value of location wherever it is and having landlords think about that and think about local partnerships with other businesses in the area and, and just leading with that as a selling point. Um, make it easy for management to communicate that value to their employees too and make sure they know what's available. Yeah. Final question, if you could give any kind of key takeaways to landlords about you know, how they should think about approaching people like yourselves who are really focused on talent. Um, you know, what would those key takeaways be? So I, I think the first thing we need to do is recognize that there are, you know, there are many different segments and in industries that are on different pace of return, right? There's 
pharma bio, there's, uh, there's manufacturing that effectively never went home. And then there are people on the other end of the spectrum that are thinking, you know, for, for maybe in perpetuity, they'll do something different from a location perspective. So the first thing is, I think, thinking about industry, thinking about companies and segmenting based upon what that company's particular needs or, or you know, sort of vision is for their pace of return. I think it starts with the dialogue, Chase. It really does. It starts with, you know, helping the company to plan for their returns. We're seeing people like, uh, you know, financial services, large tech. Large tech seem to be um, bleeding edge on the, on the return, right? Uh, we heard comp- large companies saying that they weren't returning and then make major investments in commercial real estate. And then, you know, maybe the, their their tune and their trajectory changed a little bit along the way. And I think that it took a couple of, you know, a uh, couple of leaders in the space to to make uh, to declare their position, and then a lot of others followed. And so I think if, as Jenny sort of said, if there's this opportunity to talk to either personas or or segments or different industries about what their intentions are, and then for landlords to be able to say what we're seeing across our portfolio, what we're seeing across different trends in industry is the following. That would really help because it doesn't seem like there are a lot of companies that want to be a a, a fast leader in this. Um, and so a lot of people are following what others are doing. And if we had landlords that were helping us plan, telling us about trends, telling us what they're doing to partner with us and to help enable this return, I think it'd be, you know, immensely valuable to, uh, to, to, you know, to business leaders. Yeah. They have such data at scale in a lot of ways, a lot of landlords do. And I know we would appreciate kind of a purview of understanding how everybody else is thinking about this best practice sharing, right? Yeah, that's a that's a really great thread. Um, like best practice sharing, space sharing, all of it. There's a, a real opportunity for landlords to be leaders in this and be the facilitators and create that community within their buildings for their tenants. That's going to like enable everyone to rise. Um, you know, the tide rises all ships type of thing. But I think yeah, I think one of my big takeaways from this conversation and just thinking about it too is that. The navigating, like you said, Jay, every every business has different needs and, and kind of a different situation. But navigating return to work and hybrid work environments is really challenging. And it's a really it's a difficult topic to parse because there's so many situational aspects. But it's a really good opportunity, I think, um, for businesses. Basically, looking at this decision can be used as like a mirror for companies to look at their culture and what their values are and what's really important to them. Um, and I think that's one of the big takeaways of this movement that can help everyone. Even, you know, I work with startups all day, um, looking at kind of larger enterprise companies too. This is a good time for them to think about becoming leaner in terms of their employee experience and what they're offering. And I think the best thing for landlords to do is think of it that way and and help them do that, enable that shift. Um, culturally, that's going to naturally come from the in-person versus hybrid discussion. Yeah, Jenny, it's a really interesting point. You know, one of the things I think about is how experiences drive engagement. And ultimately, we're talking about is engagement from the standpoint of how I think about this, what really drives employee engagement is a couple of factors. Number one is, you know, I'm doing purposeful and meaningful work that I feel really good about. The second is, you know, I'm uh, I have a manager, I have a, a leader that really cares about me, and um, really is looking after my my well being. And I think that during the pandemic, and while we we're all working from home, back to back to back Zoom, some of those things sort of fell off. But then when you talk about experiences, right? It's about 
I'm aligned with the purpose of my company. I believe in the mission of the company, but uh, you know, really what drives engagement is I'm aligned to the values of, of the organization. And there's a culture that I really believe in. And I feel very comfortable in where I can bring, let's call it my whole self to work. Unfortunately, during the pandemic and we're all working from home, it's extremely hard to engage your employees. If you think about those things, we are indeed back to back to back. So, you know, maybe I'm not feeling so great about the work I'm doing uh, or, you know, it's it's hard for me to engage with my manager. We just don't have the time or I have to schedule a Zoom meet that's a couple days out or something like that. And with respect to the culture, I think it's very hard. It's, it's extremely hard to have a, a truly remote culture. And so what we're talking about is this real opportunity to bring people back together again and, uh, and, and provide experiences that drive engagement. We have exceptional people here at HQO. And you know what we saw was people at first had a little bit of anxiety about coming back into the office, but boy, everyone said, we've done multiple you know, sentiment surveys and people said that just being around great people and people that care about me really matters on so many levels. And I think that that, uh, that in itself really was in, important in our return and in, and in, you know, sort of not losing in this war or this attrition battle that's happening. Yeah, for better or worse, being in the office full time, there's a, there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of different uses historically for being in the office. A lot of that is just sitting in a cubicle by yourself. Um, so it's, I think it's an interesting opportunity to distill down the good experiences and only focus on those in the office. Yeah. Well, and I think, uh, obviously we, we value those in-person experiences. So hopefully next time we do this, we can all be in a room together, which would be fun. Uh, but Jenny, thanks a bunch for the time today. Jay, thank you as well. I'll probably see you in one minute since we're in the same <laughs> office today. I look forward to it. Nice. Yeah. Good to see you both. Thanks so much. Thanks a bunch guys. For more information about how HQO can help you connect with your workforce and make smarter CapEx decisions and drive more NOI, visit us at hqo.com. This is Chase Garbarino. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go.